1: Thank you.
0: So, hey everybody! Welcome to episode 202 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Greg Hio. I'm in San Francisco, California, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hello. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have extra special guests joining us from the Atlantic time zone. A truly coast to coast podcast today. Is it's Timitra in, somewhere in New Brunswick. Yeah, Woodstock, New Brunswick. How's it going? Hey,
3: is this is the... Uh, you forgot to say this is a special July the 4th episode of Modern Just Code.
0: Well, it's the holiday, North American oh, okay. holiday week extravaganza with uh, celebrating Canada Day and the 4th of July. And we're recording here on the 4th of July a little bit earlier, so you won't hear any fireworks in the background. Or hopefully. That. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Happy birthday, Canada and America. What is it? I know it's 151 for Canada, right? What is it for the U.S.? Are we at like two twenty or something like that? Oh, let's Uh, see. So
1: 1776 uh, and this is 2018 so that's 42 years after that. So 242. 242.
0: Hmm. Wow. Wow, only 8 years to 250. That's amazing. That'll be the bi-sesquicentennial or something like that. Uh, We'll find a name and then when we have episode, what what will we be on then? Episode 1000 or something maybe by then? Hmm. And then we can uh, celebrate that. All right. so do we have any Ask MTJC or fact checks, Tim? We have a fact check, of course. Last
3: week I mentioned and original published po- podcast was August 6th, 2014, which is what we're fact checking on. So I said it was. That was
0: episode number one, August 6th. So we're coming up yeah. to that in like a month. Yeah. Cool. We have, a, what, episode 206 or thereabouts then? Yeah. yeah. Four years. Wow. Okay. Mm hmm. What else do you have here? You have something about zombies and zombie apocalypse? I'm only halfway through last week's episode, I'll admit, so I must have uh, well, missed
3: this part. Well, this, this is actually just... Uh, we were just talking about this a little bit in, in the before show, but it'll probably become the after show. But it was just we were talking about uh, Canada as number two, as the most likely... Best country for surviving a, a zombie apocalypse. Um, and you wanted to know who was number one. Number one uh, Australia. Is Australia.
0: United States is number three. Uh, interesting. Yeah. But then you're on an island, and then you're stuck.
1: Yeah. Well, but yeah. more zombies can't get to you, you're on an
0: island though. Mm, so if you eliminate the zombies that are there then you're like safe it's like quarantined
1: yeah, yeah. I guess. i okay. also think that they're kind of more culturally
2: used to everything being venomous or and <laughs> or poisonous so they're like on guard right it's like hey bobby's acting kind of weird maybe i should quarantine him for a little bit and see what's happening and yeah, maybe the zombies just go around licking toads and they'll fall down who knows <laughs> they just get the uh, the
0: venomous tree bears <laughs> jumping on them mm. yeah those drop bears are definitely a danger. How about a little follow-up, then? Do we have anything to follow up on last week? Yeah, you've got something here posted about uh, React Native, I believe, right? I do have something. I think yeah, maybe it was two episodes ago now where there was the four-part article from the folks at Airbnb about how they were dropping React Native, and then there was a post you guys discussed, I think it was, was it last week? When uh, had, or was this two weeks ago? I'm losing track of time here. But you you had followed up, I think, Tim, with an article from Furrow about the React Native experience over at That's correct. Artsy, and um, so I just came across another one. This is from the folks at Udacity, the online course people. I don't know how to describe them. Anyway, they had used React Native as part in part of their iOS and Android application as well. And it was a blog post from them, uh, another retrospective, do they call it? Yes, yeah, so a retrospective, which maybe the word suggests that, well, I guess it doesn't suggest anything, but they also said they are going to be dropping React Native and they give it a, it's not a four-part article, so it's a, lot, uh, it's a much quicker read. And then they talk about their experience and what they like, what they didn't like, what worked, what didn't, uh, the conclusion, the TLDR at the end, for those of you driving at home, is that they have decided to remove React Native. I guess the features they had built with React Native are no longer needed, and so they don't need to replace, but they're not going to be continuing with React Native, was the final conclusion there. Did uh, any of y'all see this article or read it? Have any I thoughts it. Yeah, on it? did read Yeah, it was
1: interesting. Yeah. They seemed even more down on React Native than Airbnb in the article a couple of weeks ago.
2: Yeah, they, they seem pretty pragmatic about how they described getting into it and coming out out of it where they think, you know, it's not like, it's, I don't want to portray it as if they dumped all over it, but they're like, yeah, iOS is, you know, interested in continuing Android's like, nope, absolutely not. So they're a little bit split even within their team.
0: Did they give any reason for that? I think one of the big things was, yeah, something about the Android team was reluctant to keep on with React Native. Did they say why or did I miss that?
1: Build times were slower. Uh, the Oh, right.
0: The uh, So about the dependency managers, I don't know much about Gradle or is it, that's like the build tool that they use. Is that right? Yep. And something about that was much. Uh, I guess worse there were a lot of conflicts with the yeah okay. with
1: with doing CI.
2: Okay. Yeah, and fragmentation in the Android ecosystem makes their problem worse because if you have you know some sort of slight performance problem or some weird oddity on iOS, there's only a handful of things you have to deal with. Whereas on Android, it's like, oh no, it doesn't work well in this Huawei triangular screened you know two dollar <laughs> device. Like, what are we going to do? Okay, well let's let's go into it. And they they came to sort of the same conclusion that one sec.
0: While we wait for Jaime's dog, did you did you know that um, Ashfur was from Woodstock, New Brunswick? I did not. I knew he was from somewhere in eastern Canada. I didn't know from where exactly. Yeah, he's right from right from. I'm broadcasting from not from his home, but his hometown. I was going to say you're at the birthplace <laughs> of Ashfur. You're like standing on the monument. Just, I, can, I can I can see
3: the sign where it says birthplace of Ashfur just down the street here. Yeah,
0: we'll take a selfie next to the plaque you know, that's <laughs> right. attached to his house. Yeah. It's like he was born
2: here. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So in case this part comes out in the actual show, I apologize.
2: As we record today it is it's actually really early in the pacific northwest it is eleven sixteen a.m on uh, wednesday the fourth of july independence day in america and people are proudly celebrating with fireworks
0: oh uh, this early this, they 11. shouldn't they shouldn't be no but they are <laughs> but they're
2: celebrating with firearms <laughs> um but yeah so they they ran into issues on the android side that were really coming to the same sort of conclusion that airbnb was of like oh rather than being oh we learn one thing and we use it in multiple places that's sort of the um you know on the tin promise for react native they said well no actually you end up learning three different platforms and so you've just added an extra thing you have to worry about and keep up to date with and react native is moving so fast that there are big breaking changes so often that they're Um, but we should point this out. They're relatively small team compared to Airbnb, um, just couldn't deal with it as much. So when they introduced React Native, they had one iOS dev, two Android devs, one product manager, one designer. And then today they continue to have one product manager, one designer, four iOS devs, three Android devs. So I think if I was to guess, that's probably why they got excited. Like, Oh, look, we can do more with less. And then when they finally built up a larger team, it was like, well, it's not really as necessary to get something off the ground. Like if you're sitting in your basement and you want to make a multi-platform experience, I think React Native probably works better there. But if you're getting sizable enough where those benefits start to sort of taper off really quickly, it starts becoming more of a burden, I think, is, is what they and Airbnb started running into.
0: Mm. The one sentence or paragraph that I highlighted was where they said that uh, this is sort of uh, what the Android folks thought about it. And they had said that React Native was fast to get the new feature up and running. So maybe it was like a good prototyping language or just if you need to spin something up really quickly. But then it took longer to get the sort of um, prototype to like polished. really release, and then long-term maintenance was another problem. So it seems like that's the kind of thing that I've been hearing a lot. It's like, if you just want to try something, React Native is really good to get something out there. But it seems like, at least for the Android folks, they found that turning that into a shippable product and then being able to maintain that in the longer term was sort of where the um, bottlenecks start were, if that's the right word for it. Uh, where all a lot, a lot of the work and the complexity was, I guess. All right, cool. Uh, Jaime, you have something here as well about Excel?
2: Yes, I think it was Mark who was talking about the power of uh, Microsoft Excel because you, you all were talking about Uh, pages or numbers or something on the Mac and compared that to Google Docs and other experience and then brought up Excel and its power and uh, if you were very curious about how powerful it can be go check out uh, excelunusual.com which has uh, science engineering and games in Excel and they're doing some wild stuff here Uh, the claim here is that uh, all the animated models in what they're showing above are created using plain Microsoft Excel probably using the uh, scripting languages I guess that uh, like VBScript or something I would guess that's still available in Excel. It's wild like they're showing like uh, this, uh, I think it's like a 3D roller coaster, like wireframe, and showing what you would look like if you were riding this thing, or they're showing um, some sort of astronomical calculations of uh, like a solar system or something. So
0: it is pretty cool. There's a XL pong game that you can play. I guess there's one showing a I don't know what this is, a spring and a piston or something like that, some kind of physics physicsy looking simulation. And of course, of course there's the a Tetris, Tetris game. Yeah,
2: yeah that's
1: pretty circuit cool. Circuit simulator I, I, looks like.
2: Yeah, I've seen people do like weird animated things. Um, like coloring different table cells, or yes, table cells in Excel. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do these things, so I'm kind of interested to see if it, they have tutorials. Oh, they do, with models and tutorials. So if you wanted to mm-hmm. learn how to make an animated asynchronous electric motor model in Excel, you can download the model and try to run it and learn what they did. I don't have Excel on here, these- so I
0: can't actually try it out. Yeah, I wonder if these run on Excel on the Mac, because they do say Excel 2003 or 7, and all the screenshots look Windowsy. i I'm just wondering if it runs on the uh, runs on the Mac or not. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, I wonder if it needs that Visual Basic stuff to run this stuff. Makes sense. I think they're on uh, whatever it is, VBA or something, which I think also works on the Mac. So maybe these things do work. but Yeah, it came back, back to working.
3: Excel a little while ago. A couple of versions mm. ago.
0: Yeah. Mm. All right. Let's move on to our main topics. Cool. Tim, you got something here. Yeah. YouTube video, something about AI, which we love.
3: I do. Yeah. This is posted by Amber Mack. Um, uh, Amber McKenzie, I believe, her is her real name. She's, but um, Amber Mack on Twitter and, and social networks and stuff. She's a, a speaker and uh, television personality. She talks about tech here in, in uh, Canada. And she's been around, you know, the US as well. Um, but this is a, a piece, uh, a, a video about Jeff Hinton, who is uh, sort of known as the father or Godfather of uh, artificial intelligence he teaches at University of Toronto um, he basically he's from England and traveled around I think he was at Carnegie Mellon for Carnegie Mellon for a while and um, in this in the video they talk about you know how he initially was sort of uh, looked looked past uh, when AI was early in early days because I think probably because there wasn't computer power to sort of uh, do the kind of modeling that you needed to do and the data sets weren't that deep and, and, and but he's the one that came up with the idea I think he He's one of the people that came up with the idea of deep deep learning. Deep um, learning is it called?
1: Um, you know, yeah, yeah. So he's he's a neural network guy. Yeah. And for a long time, neural networks were considered, yeah, really nice in theory, but but not really practical because the computing power just wasn't wasn't there, uh, especially to do all these you know very uh, multiple multiple level neural networks that that are what what deep learning is all about. And um, it's it's only been in the past few years that computing power has gotten strong enough that you can actually really do these things and now neural networks have taken over and everything, and they are the main uh, area of focus for machine learning and, and AI.
3: Sure. And he was concerned when he was down in, in the States or in Europe or whatever that um, the kind of funding they were getting was, was being offered by the military and he really wasn't in, in favor of you know, sort of having them take over. It's typical like like a movie, movie uh, script really. Uh, didn't want them to sort of be the ones funding it because he thought it would be used for, for bad things. Um, but, so he found uh, that uh, the University of Toronto would uh, support him uh, and had a you know proper place for him to go and, and work and teach and and develop this stuff. So, so now that you know we're all using deep learning and, and neural nets. Um, he's sort of the being at the forefront of it. He's sort of, I guess, turned to as a sort of and a, a, a world leading expert on it, right?
1: Yeah. He he was at, or or maybe still is, uh, at Google as well. Yes, he was for working for Google. Years, that's right. So yeah,
3: he talks about that in the video as well.
1: Yep. Yeah. There, he actually has a course on one of the online learning sites. I think it might be um, Coursera uh, on deep learning. That uh, I, I actually I, I took about half of it and then I and then I stopped. I, I found it, there was a lot of stuff in the course but it was a little bit of, of a survey level so he would he would tell you a lot of a little bit about a lot of different things and right yeah uh, i you know i found in the course it, it wasn't enough to really learn the stuff without going off and doing stuff on the side so it was a lot of time investment but if you're interested in a, in a survey course just to k- kind of get an idea of what's out there in the fields of neural networks and deep learning then it's that it's a pretty good place to go for that for that
0: Yeah, another course to add to my oh, queue yep. i'm still working <laughs> (laughs) through the uh, Andrew Ng original Coursera course, Mm -hmm. and then Mark had recommended the Caltech one, so I have that next, and now this is going to be a third one. Mm -hmm. Cool. cool. I have a link up here from the folks at 9to5Mac. It's called, or actually no, that's my my title for it was Confirmed. iOS is where all the money is. So this is a common thing that I think we hear a lot, that when you have an app or if some company releases their app first on iOS, and then there's always some kind of um, anger or gnashing of teeth or whatever about, like, why not Android? Android has much more market share. And a common response to that is that Android users don't pay for stuff, sort of painting with a very broad brush here. And that if you want to make money on the platform, then iOS is the place to be. And I I don't know, this is the kind of thing that I hear enough that I kind of half believe, but then the other half of me says, is this really true? Like, how do we know this? And so, um, I don't know, maybe everybody does know this and doesn't need any more proof. But this is um, from 95Mac, looking at the game Super Mario Run. So the title of it is, iOS has accounted for over 70% of Nintendo's revenue from that game. Uh, and they talk about their worldwide revenue, how much of that was from the App Store. And yeah, it was 77% coming from the App Store and 23% from Google Play. So it's not zero. It's not 50-50 either. And if you count the number of Android devices, I don't think they talk about the number of downloads, actually. But if you got the number of downloads of this game on Android devices versus iOS devices, I would imagine because of greater market share, although they don't say that here, I would imagine that there would be way more Android uh, users of this game. And yet the revenue is split the other Way almost like you know three quarters to one quarter uh, leaning towards iOS. So it's a little more of a concrete um, demonstration of that. Although of course this isn't Nintendo releasing the data. This is from some other company called Sensor Tower. I don't know who they are and how they're getting this data. But that's the that's what they're um, that's what they're reporting here. Um,
3: yeah. Sorry. Do we know how they, um, the the revenue is made? Like, is it through in app purchases or something? Or as far
0: as I remember, on iOS at least the game was free, and I think you could do the first level, the first three levels or something like that. And after that, you had to pay, I forget. This was the game that was available for pre-order, I think. This is like the first game ever for pre-order. Jaime can back me up on this one. Is that true? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Okay. And then do you remember how much the in-app purchase was? Jaime, mean, it was like $5 or $10, $15? I don't remember now.
2: At the time, we talked about it probably a year ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nine ninety nine. I just checked in the App Store okay. that uh, singular in-app purchase. So as Greg accurately described, it was free to try like the first level or two. And then if you wanted the entire game, you'd pay what used to be 9.99 um, us in US uh, in-app purchase now it is down to 699 as they've probably Ooh. gone over the hump of early adopters I, I don't know what it is on Android I didn't take a look in their uh, Google Play Store but okay. um, it's not like your typical uh sort of freemium thing this is more like a free trial sort of model
0: yeah it very much was like unlock the whole game and I think they were maybe even on stage at the keynote or wherever they were uh, they were like this will be a one-time purchase and I think people clapped or something if I remember if I'm remembering this correctly and people clapped and they said this is just a one-time purchase and you'll unlock everything and then that'll be it there will not be another purchase to make so it wasn't like yeah buying what was it buying smurf berries or something like that you're actually unlocking the game and you can play it forever um,
3: so yeah if you follow the link there for sensor tower you'll see that um, it says sensor towers stores intelligence about platform and platforms and it's an enterprise level tool but it what's interesting mm-hmm. here is they break down further into what, what it is so um, their lead story is that um, Nintendo has surpassed the 60 million in app store and Google Play since launching in September 2016, um, and that's um, so 60 and million
0: they, worldwide. I guess that's on both platforms. I guess right? so. Yeah, 60 yeah. million apps yeah. are and yeah. Google Play. Yeah, and, then, and in then terms they, of where the
3: money comes from geographically, 43% is from the United States, and the rest, of, much much of the other revenue comes from Japan at about 17%.
0: Yeah. So the second point that I was going to bring up was sort of iOS or Android. If you want to make money, where should you go? These numbers suggest you should go on iOS, and then there's still the heavy weight towards the United States. So if you want to release an app. Right. And whatever, you're offering some service or some product and you want to sell it and you want to make money, then yeah, this is almost half of the money for this game at least is coming from the U.S. So it still, uh, still turns out the U.S. is still a big market. Who would have thought? Um, so that's the that's where you want to launch. It's interesting interesting
3: because um, I still hear about China from time to time being a large market for a lot of people. But
0: I guess it depends on the, the type of app, I guess, right? Definitely depends, yeah. And especially if you're doing some kind of service based thing in China, um, like you can't use Twitter in China, so they had to come up with a Chinese right, version of right. Twitter. And yeah. same with Google search and all of that. Um, but I guess it depends. If you're selling a product like an iPhone and you want to sell them in China, then I think there are still restrictions that you have to have on your application with what it does with its data, things like that. But um, yeah, maybe there's a difference. Pe- I don't know enough about it. A, a difference between like the leisure market and the business market, things like that. This is a game and, you know, Americans love games. I don't know. I don't know. But it still seems like um, that's still a big chunk of people in the US. So it seems like US iOS users are still sort of the ones with the deep pockets that you want to go after. Speaking of Chinese restrictions, let me just um, pull up something that I just remembered. Uh, Our friend of the show, uh, Ryan McLeod, author of the uh, award-winning game Blackbox, tweeted something about... he got a note about how... um, let me find it. There's some restrictions around CallKit. No spoilers about Blackbox. Who knows why Blackbox would even use CallKit. But he tweeted something saying that... If your app has call kit, then it can no longer be um, in the Chinese app store. Did you guys see this? Let me just post it here. Just yeah, quickly. I vaguely remember something about uh, it. Yeah, uh, so yeah, it's just do cracking down
2: on that stuff. VPN related, I think.
0: Yeah, this was. I thought call kit was the thing that would help you, um, like block numbers among other things. Maybe you can like make calls to. I'm not really sure, but um, or sorry, VoIP or something like that. Uh, anyway, it's just um, it just reminded me Tim because you had said or you just said Chinese market, different apps, different restrictions, things like that. Um, so I'll just put a quick note to the tweet in here. So if you are, uh, if you do include, I'm assuming if you just link call kit in your app and your app is for sale in China, then you'll get one of these automated notices or something saying like, Hey, you should be careful because um, you may not, um, apps cannot be approved with call kit functionality active in China. So you have to make changes to it and make the reviewers happy. Um, So just a quick thing there.
1: So it's interesting from, from the, uh, the tweet that you just posted, it's, it's not clear whether it's the Chinese government that's not allowing call kit functionality or whether it's, Apple that's not allowing call kit functionality. And
0: in- it says the Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology. So I assume it's the government. Oh, where does it say? That? All call kit functionality. If you if you open the image, it's taller. Uh, I think you're only seeing the preview. Maybe. Yeah. It says the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology requested that call kit functionality be deactivated in all apps available on the China App okay. Store. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, there's so a call the kit thing. tutorial on RayWunderlich.com. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're developing an app in china do not read that tutorial at all or maybe read it and then you can understand what not to do so that's the chinese app store hi uh, <laughs> may you have another topic for us a little uh, travel report from your time in hotlanta
2: yes uh folks may remember that i was calling from a hotel room for our uh seminal 200th episode and uh then Ooh. i had to take a week off with moving and everything so i haven't had a chance to, to give a quick recap of uh the we rise tech conference in atlanta georgia um it, it was one that I was speaking at. I was talking about my, um, it used to be the um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. I can't even remember. Elementary? I can't remember the old one. I've moved, moved beyond my old presentation and it's all about the new one. So the new presentation is uh, What's My Age Again? It uses IBM Watson uh, server side Swift and uh, IBM's Cloud Functions and cobble something interesting together to what used to do celebrity recognition. Unfortunately IBM changed their API and removed that capability so I saved and didn't have to scuttle my presentation and turned it into uh, grabbing the age and gender attributes because I found some interesting stuff. Um, Hopefully the videos will be online relatively soon, and when they are, I'll do some follow-up and maybe make that my pick of the week or something when they they put the recordings. But uh, it may not surprise you that it's actually kind of challenging to do uh, age and gender. And so I choose a couple easy options, and then I show one where it fails uh, pretty mightily on age and another one where it fails pretty mightily on gender. Uh, And I won't spoil it for folks because I think watching the video will make it interesting for you. Um, but the conference itself was uh, pretty interesting for a lot of different reasons I mean there were uh, good talks on uh, a couple different things like um, Apache nifi was interesting because I'd, I'd never heard of this but it's like a uh, data transformation and routing tool but with a nice uh, web-based editor apparently it you know is from the NSA and was open sourced so you would figure they'd be really good at, at taking chunks of data and transforming raw data into different types uh, apparently is meant for their analysts to do work without having to require developer involvement uh at least not for everything so that was pretty neat uh, learned about topics like uh crypto kitties the i want to say it's ethereum based sort of pokemon card game sort of trading thing uh, but using the ethereum currency as the sort of backing store um, there was tracks on javascript so i went into the ecma script sort of land to figure out like okay what's you know it's been a while since i've been a web developer let me cover that and see you know how the other half lives uh there was stuff on uh google cloud vision and doing OCR so it was sort of like a mishmash of different things separated into different tracks um, it was uh, over two days about 400-ish people there were keynote speakers in between and I learned a lot not only you know from the attending and technical side but you know this is a women in tech conference and I am not a woman so it was really sort of interesting to be on the other side as the the outlier sort of the, the weirdo in the room sort of thing uh, there were other men at the conference it wasn't like I was completely alone, but it's sort of like, if you take your normal tech conference, it's 75 to 80% men and just like flip that number. It's like, oh, oh, even though people are like not doing anything, I I feel sort of like an outsider. So I feel like that was really um, personally enriching to to feel that. I mean, I I stand out quite a bit, you know, I've got my mustache and my wild hair and everything. So I've thought I was used to standing out, but I sort of stood out in a different way that made me sort of challenge a little bit of my, my basic assumptions. Of what it's like to be at a tech conference. I felt like that was really good as an experience. um And I also found that the way that the conference members interact with each other was different than it would be at a typical conference. So I think at a typical tech conference, I'm really used to the idea of like, all right, there's going to be some one up ship, right? Like, where do you work? What projects are you working on? And oh, what language do you use? Oh, Swift sucks. Objective C. No, it's Rust and Golang, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas here, it was really more about like, really supportive, like, oh, what do you? do? Oh, that's cool. I really like that. Tell me more. So it was like everything was approached very differently. So um, that's not to say every conference should be like this, but it was, again, really, really, really cool and interesting to see um, a conference that does things a little bit differently. So I I highly recommend it to folks. uh, Check it out at least uh, once in your life, I think. Oh, and because people are probably shaking their fist, uh, my presentation did go very well, uh, as you might imagine, talking (laughs) about age and gender at a Women in Tech conference is uh, a very careful, a very careful razor edge to go. Um, But I had uh, done a dry run of this uh, the week prior at the local Seattle X coders meetup and got some really good feedback from folks. They were like, "Okay, I felt really nervous at the beginning because you know you start talking about uh, gender like this. This presentation might go south real fast." Um, but I covered all the of their concerns, and so I sort of massaged the presentation to be like, "Hey, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about bias right at the beginning, so people aren't uh, concerned that I'm going to create some sort of horrible faux pas and end up as a, a Twitter meme, as it
0: might be." Now you always have some kind of t- Tef- technical difficulties at your talk, Jaime. So, what was it this time? Let's see.
2: the The Wi-Fi was not great because you know conference Wi-Fi. Um, I think they did do something to, to help it out a little bit because I, I saw the presenter two sessions before mine, so I, I went into that room to try to see how things were set up. And and I, she tried to do a live demo on Amazon Web Services, and it just went south real fast because the Wi-Fi wasn't keeping up when all the attendees were in the room. So the backup video that I had was ready to roll. Um, I think I think Google. Uh, sorry, I think IBM Cloud hiccuped a little bit for me, so I just had to like hit refresh and get it ready to roll. So it was actually pretty smooth, probably because I did have the backup video ready to roll. Um, so if people like absolutely could not see me do things, I'd be like, well, let's look at the you know the GitHub code that I have, or let's look at the local cache of code I have, or if it's really going south, let's look at this video and just trust me that it actually works. So it, it actually wasn't too bad this time. I think it follows that that rule of like uh, you know if, if you don't prepare. There's almost certainly something going to go wrong. Whereas I like going the opposite way. I'm like, well, I'd rather just waste my time over preparing and then not need it. But at least I really only lose the time instead of uh, feeling super embarrassed as my demo doesn't work live. Hmm.
0: All right. Any <laughs> any uh, any other questions for Hyman other than technical difficulty questions? Nope. All right. Is it time to move on to the picorama, Tim? Your favorite part of the show? Sure, the picks. Let's do the picks. Do you have a pick this week, Tim? I do. I do. Hot weather way um, out there. Yeah.
3: This is from your friend, uh, Jess Squires. Um, Is it Jesse Squires Mm. or Jesse How do you say his Uh,
0: name? I refuse to say. Oh, okay.
3: Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this is something that I've used before, and I I forget a lot, but I thought it might be interesting to post it it back in here since Jesse's brought it up, Um, is that... um, they, uh, if you're running, if you're running, uh, you know, when you're debugging your app or whatever, when you're running your app and you run into issues, you can use the, the behaviors, um, setting inside of, uh, Xcode to open, a, uh, your debug screen in another window called debug. And we've done that before. I've done that before. I don't know what happened to my settings, but, um, and it's handy because then you have your code in your, in your existing tab already and then just open a new, new tab with, uh, your debug screen there and you can go through your, your issues there. So it's kind of a handy little tip here on how to, um, uh, set up set this up, you know, basically go into behaviors um, and your preferences, and then uh, tap, you know, check on check check on or place a check mark in some of the check boxes here, and then uh, you know you can create a, a name. He, in this case, he suggests debug, and that's pretty much what I've heard most people do. And then open the debugger navigator in there, uh, which is super handy for um, and you know open the variables and constants views as well, so you can see what's going on inside your app at the point that you hit a breakpoint or an ac- an actual error and that kind of stuff. Of course, this doesn't apply to our friend Rich Turton, who never has problems writing his code, but um, for the rest of us who may occasionally have to debug things, this is a super
0: handy tip. That's it. Cool. Still, still How do you usually <laughs> debug things, Tim? If I uh, forget, so what uh, what problem is this solving for you? Well, it, 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 what I like to do is,
3: um, if I get into a debug mode, sometimes I find that I'm, I've moved off of where where I was when I was actually writing some code. Maybe I'm working on a part of, part of the app, and the bug uh, opens. If you open up, if you had zombies in your, if you create a like, breakpoint with zombies or whatever, um, if you if you if you don't do that, it over it changes your current view into a debug view, right? Um, in the state whatever wherever you are in the standard editor or, in, or within your tab so this this creates a new tab and moves you and brings your focus over there but your original place where you were just working a minute ago doesn't get lost so you can just flip back to that tab and continue working or fix whatever uh, faux pas you may have made at that point cool yeah
2: yeah I, I think I'll end up using this because i I have do excuse, excuse me I do a little bit something like this um more on the testing side where I have my tests that will play a sound if it's successful and they will play a different sound if it fails so I can go off and make a sandwich or something while tests are running you know and if I'm running the full test suite let's say um, prior to doing a commit and I do get annoyed when I hit a breakpoint that I didn't expect and it throws my whole experience off you know I'm the kind of person who likes to use different workspaces or you know like this is my workspace for Xcode and the simulator and other bits this is the other bit where I actually do uh, command line stuff this is another one where I've got I don't know 20 Google Chrome tabs open with with documents and stuff, so having it you know change where I'm at, like oh looks looks like you hit this breakpoint in this completely unrelated file because maybe I was in a different debugging session and forgot to kill that breakpoint or forgot to disable it for this run or something. And so having something like this where you know when it does pause, open up a new tab, have it a particular name, have it all set up for the kind of view you want and setup you want for debugging seems like it could be a really nice way to not lose track of where I was at in my normal editor, um, as you mentioned, Tim.
3: Right, it was just. Interesting about this is I'm going to call him Mister Squire, since Greg's help helping with the pronunciation of his first name, but um,
0: <laughs> it's just Jesse. He, you had it right. right.
3: Oh, Jesse. Okay, so he he uh, mentioned that uh, he saw this in in the advanced LL advanced debugging and uh, with Xcode and LLDB uh, video in the 2018 talk, and it's funny that um, one of the, one of the advantages of watching the videos, especially when you get a really you know expert uh, in their field up up on the screen or up on the stage, they'll mention something in passing, and that's what happened in pa- the is apparently Chris Miles uh, mentioned this behaviors uh, setting really quickly and just kind of went past it and um, I, I know I've discovered things that way. Uh, it was something I was doing last year. I think it had to do with podcasting, um, but there was something mentioned by the presenter. He just sort of like you know at the end of his sentence he threw a like you know four or five word phrase in and maybe a quick screenshot. And I went when I went to explore that I went oh my god how come I didn't know this already you know um, so there's lots of little tidbits that are buried away inside the the videos if you watch them so
2: little easter eggs i guess that's my pick cool uh hi mate you have a pick i do and hopefully this stays up (laughs) long enough for people to to actually (laughs) make use of the pick so uh it's a site called devtube and um if that sounds a lot like youtube it's probably a reason why even their even their logo looks kind of like that but it's a nifty little site put up by who who uh latvian software developers at coding andre and at uh edward c edward c and um, I think they've collected a whole bunch of, of different videos of different kinds, um, like Venkat Supermanian stuff on uh, you know software design principles. Uh, you can find a friend of the show and one time co-host or, or, or guest, uh, Marin Todorov's um, animation, uh, what is it? iOS animation by tutorials. You can find stuff related to Java apps, just a whole bunch of different things that have been um, tagged and flagged various ways. So you can do these sort of live search that you can filter down on the left-hand column if you open your browser wide enough, or, you know, I'm interested in mobile or Python or security, uh, maybe try to find speakers based on their, um, uh, sorry, filter based on the speaker name, like Venkat Subramanian has like 30 videos that he has available. Um, I'm, I'm assuming I, that they're probably all probably crawled from various conferences and stuff from, uh, uh, YouTube channels and other bits. Um, so it's, it's not the end all be all, but it's got quite a bit. So if you were like, yo, let me find all the Google developers stuff because it's a little challenging on YouTube's uh, official channel for Google developers. Well, guess what? You could uh, just filter based on that and then hit the search at the top and just get live stuff of like, all right, let me find stuff where they talked about uh, Flutter, for example. And it looks like there are a whole bunch, many, many videos. I'm not even going to count them all. There's at least 20 probably on this page. So if you're looking for that sort of thing, um, I don't know that it's as great, if I'm being quite honest, on iOS specifically. When they look at the tags for mobile, there are only, what? 88 and i think those probably cover partially both ios android react native flutter that sort of thing but i think this is just getting started or at least it came to my attention just a week or two ago so it's uh, if you're looking for something to do this uh, this holiday time uh, holidays coming up various uh, various countries around the world uh you got to do something during halftime of the world cup which is ongoing as we speak so <laughs> take in a video maybe during your lunch break sure. the dates on these are some
3: of them are pretty old like 2015 2016 so that may be how they're getting away with it as you said Yeah,
2: Yeah, and you can also filter by year. So let me see, 2018 has a fair chunk of videos. Oh, right, Um, okay, yeah. They don't have like a real. They do have a way to email them. You can. Uh, I don't actually see it anymore. I saw the their Twitter. Well, I guess you could email them. Oh, there it is. Right at the very bottom. So there's at um, WatchDevTube um, is their Twitter handle, and I suppose you could be like, hey, go add this conference, or hey, here's my video, and they don't get swamped. Maybe they'll at them. Maybe they'll add your video. But I do know that they have a GitHub, but I didn't see if there was a way you could do pull requests for. Oh, oh, you can uh, watch devtube contrib is the the repo it looks like you can contribute um your own stuff so maybe maybe i'll go toot my own horn on this channel submit <laughs> <laughs> a bit of pull request and be like hey go look at these cool videos involving me right
0: right yeah that could be the unofficial Jaime Lopez home, video home on the web. Yeah, yeah. And
2: maybe I'll start by being real sneaky and be like, oh, look, here's like 360 iDev and here's lead developer Austin and all these, and, and we Rise Tech when that becomes available and not make it super obvious that, that it's just for me.
0: Mm. That's, you need a, that's a sort of a burner email account to do all this, a burner GitHub account to do all this from too. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. That reminds me of the, um, it was pomo.tv. That's the, what language it is. That means Apple. I don't know if the site's still up. Uh, it is still up. And I think it was, for some reason, I thought it was Chris Eidoff behind it, but maybe not. And it was a GitHub repository that sort of was an index of all these videos. I don't think it's been updated in a while, but the site is still up. And I'm sure the GitHub is still up too. So um, it's not, looks like it's not being kept up to date though, which just too bad. But I always like these collections of videos because, you know, I'm always bored and need things to watch. So that's cool. Yeah.
2: And now that I think about it, the, the better way of, of testing the waters in this is to create gregheo at hotmail.com and then start submitting all these Greg gregheo
0: videos <laughs> <laughs> is hotmail still a thing yeah oh yeah yeah i didn't even well, think
2: about that i don't know if you can create a hotmail one anymore it's probably
0: outlook.com but oh it's like live it's MSN, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. oh all right wow hotmail yeah i haven't seen a hotmail address in a long time so i'd wonder what it uh, what happened yeah, to people that. still use it all right smart people uh,
1: mark do you have a pick? I do have a pick. Uh, this is something that I actually just found out about this morning, so I'm pretty new to it, but it looks pretty cool, and it's exciting enough I want to tell people about it. It's called Blink. Uh, that's spelled B-L-Y-N-K, and this is for anyone who has an interest in in, in doing things with uh, IoT or Internet of Things. So you've probably heard of things like the Arduino or the Raspberry Pi and all these hardware dev boards that you can use to connect sensors or whatever kind of electronics you want to a microcontroller and uh, and then and then you can program the microcontroller to, to do things with that hardware well what blink is is an app and a server solution uh, that's a turnkey way to control that hardware without even potentially doing any coding uh, so it, it, it came out of a Kickstarter program that they that they set up a couple of years back uh, and it's available on the app Store for free and essentially what you do is you have say your Arduino which is your hardware board and you know maybe you have some you know LEDs that you're trying to light up on some of the ports or whatever just a, a silly little project. Well, with the app, you, ins- you you take the blink library, you install it on your Arduino, uh, and connect it to your network and then run the app. You set up a, a project in your in the blink app and there's a palette of controls that you can drag and drop into onto the screen and connect them to each other and then almost magically, you run the app and you tap a button or you move a slider and it communicates with the Arduino board over the network and controls the hardware. So you can say, okay, send this voltage over this pin to turn on this light bulb or whatever through the completely through the app. Cool. So it's a great way to prototype, uh, hardware to app type solutions. Uh, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure it's something that you could actually build a real product out of, uh, but you can certainly prototype something and, and test things out. And so control your, your Arduino or your, or your Raspberry Pi with almost no programming involved. If, if you want to, to get things started, it's kind of a cool thing to play with. So, uh, yeah, if you have any interest in you know, doing do-it-yourself hardware or electronic projects, I think it could be pretty useful to get you up and running pretty quickly compared to doing it all yourself. So the uh, the website is www.blink.cc. You want to check it out, see what's available. And the app is available in the App Store. Yeah, I was wondering, I was like, oh, this is a free app. How exactly do they make their money? How do they make yeah, their money? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, the way they make their money is, is uh, when you have your palette of things that you want to build up of components, you have a certain number of points that you get for free. uh, And for every element that you place onto your your, uh, I don't know, into your circuit or whatever you want to call it, uh, that costs a certain amount of points. Uh, Then when you, if you want more points so you want to build a more sophisticated thing, you have to, uh, through an app purchase, you buy more points. And then that lets you build more complicated things.
0: Okay,
2: cool. So if you're just getting started or you're okay with, you know, tearing down and rebuilding new stuff that you connect on there, you can get started for free, which is really nice. And then if you yep. wanted to do some more serious things or wanted to have multiple projects ongoing at the same time, you just plump down the cash for in-app purchase and you can expand. Exactly. Cool, cool. Yeah.
0: Do you have any hardware projects on the go right now, Mark? Uh, I have one that I don't really want to talk about oh, yet, okay.
1: uh, but yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> are you thinking of using this or are you sort of rolling your own right now?
1: So uh, I found about it actually from a friend of mine that I've worked with before in the past who uh, built a a sample project uh, using this, and he told me about it. So I'm I'm actually going to start looking at what he's done, and maybe go from there a little bit. Oh, cool, and maybe using it for some other stuff as well.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, I got a quick pick here. It's a um, more more videos staying on the theme, staying on Jaime's theme here. It's the uh, site uh, Point Free, which you can find at pointfree.co, which is from uh, Brandon Williams and Stephen. I don't know how to say his last name. Setless maybe. Anyway, I apologize, Stephen. Um, they're two. I know them as functional programming nerds. If you, I think they've both spoken at the the functional Swift Conference, and I, I know Brandon at least was a co-organizer there, and uh, it's their subscription video series. They have a bunch of free videos as well if you want to check them out, but they talk about functional stuff and Swift specifically. Uh, so you can check out the videos. They're very good. Some of them are free. You can get a taste of what they're like, but they also have a GitHub repository, which is filled with all kinds of treats. Their whole website, for example, is built using Swift on the server, and it's in a functional style, of course, and it's all open source, so you can kind of browse through the code, as, uh, as I like to do. And they came out with something recently called um, Swift non-empty, which is a non-empty collection. So, um, some people are like, is that like an optional? Which is different. An optional is like, maybe the value is there, maybe there isn't. And a collection, of course, can be empty, or it can have stuff in there. So, this is a particular kind of collection that is guaranteed to be non-empty. Which you might think, why would I need that? They have a whole video about it, so I'm not going to get into it here. But just looking at their, their code, like they have a project called uh, Prelude. Prelude, or Prelude, depending on how you want to say it. I'll just say it every way, so I'm right at least once. And it's just just, um, what do they call it? A collection of frameworks to enhance the Swift language. So this is interesting things like an either type to say, almost like a union type to say like, does this this will either have a float or it'll have a string or whatever. And they have a lens type and a whole bunch of other stuff. So this is the kind of thing where it's like, I may not, I'm not going to pull this in as a CocoaPod or whatever, since I don't like CocoaPods, but I'm not going to pull this into my own project and use it, but it's just the kind of code that I find interesting to read. So if you think about how would I make a collection that has at least one element and how I guarantee that there's going to be at least one element in there? And you think about that, and you think, I'm not sure. Do I need to like extend array? Do I need to extend collection? How do I Do I like put an invariant that says count must be greater than zero? How do I enforce that? A lot of interesting questions around this stuff, um, and they're very smart people, and so they have interesting ways of solving these problems. So um, I guess it's like a multiple pick. You can either subscribe to their videos and watch them if you're interested, or just kind of um, browse through their GitHub repository and look at some interesting bits of code about possible ways to do things and um, I know one of the things that I think people like about functional programming is it's very different from how they code day to day, especially in our sort of object-oriented centered way of doing stuff on iOS. And looking at a more functional approach is just, again, not necessarily you're going to pull this code in to your own project, although you might. But it's just an interesting way to solve a problem that you would have solved a different way. And it's like, oh, I see how they did it here. Um, so I'm always big on reading code. So I've been reading through some of their um, some of the Swift here just to find some interesting ways to do things. Do I, any of you guys subscribe to these videos or have heard of these folks before? No, I had not heard of are they? What's the average length of the videos? Uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes? They're sort of uh, the Swift Talk sort of... Um, I think they're about that length. Uh, let me look at one of their... I'm not logged in here. Let me look at one of the free ones. Yeah, some of the
3: earlier on. were ones you can look at for... looks like be for free. Uh, yeah. yeah,
0: 25 minutes. So I think they're 20 to 30 minutes and they usually come with a, um, a playground and some sample code, that kind of thing. Okay, cool.
2: Yeah, I'm looking okay. at... number. Number ten, Tuesday, March twenty seventh, twenty eighteen. Mm. A tale of two flat maps. Longtime <laughs> listeners of the show know that there is flat map, and then there's true flat map that got renamed to compact map. So that one's free apparently. So I'll, I'll check
0: that one out and see what they have to say. Yeah, I'm just looking at this other free one. Uh, yeah, thirty minutes. UI Kit styling with functions. Um, so it's a sort of a functional, taking a functional approach to UI Kit. That's video number three from earlier this year. They just launched this year. The first video is like what is it, January 29th. So they're still relatively new, but they've got what twenty videos on here now. Maybe they're about one a week or one every two weeks thereabouts. Um, anyway, videos are excellent because uh, they're very smart guys, so that helps too. But again, um, they have the whole uh, repository with the code for their website and for all of their other interesting Swift explorations. So um, check it out if you're interested. Cool. So I think that wraps up the Picorama, which means I think also wraps up the show. Pretty much, Is that yeah. right? Tim, you're the expert here. All right. So, hi, uh, <laughs> uh, if people want to find you out there on the uh, internet, wherever they look? I'm on Twitter is at dev with the hair. And Mark, if people want to find you.
1: Mark R at SmapSoft.com.
0: And Tim, out there on the internet. I am Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Greg Heo, That's G-R-E-G-H-E-O. And that's it for this episode, 202 Special Edition. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you all next bye. week. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Bye.
1: If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjcpodcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
3: There we
0: go. That's all there is. It's kind of a quick one today. Mm -hmm. Well, Greg's very efficient. I like to Mm -hmm. speed through things, you know. (laughs) That's true. Oh, almost an hour on the dot. That's amazing. It's 12.01. Yeah, I think we... um, When did we start talking, anyway? Uh, I started the call about ten to ten to noon, yeah, let me see. and um, no, I don't see any. Let me look at my recording. My recording is an hour ten, and I started around there. So yeah, I'm, I'm
3: at hour eleven. Yeah, I, th- I just started just before you call. Mm. Cool.
0: Yeah, little, there was a lot of breakup.
3: I'm glad you guys are doing the the main recording because oh, you got a lot of breakup. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm at the I'm at the other end of the internet from Tammy, right? So
1: so Tim, I'm curious is it is it just coincidence that you're on vacation the week of July fourth, or or is it or is the bank kind of in semi shutdown mode because of no, the, no no it's the just holiday. just
3: my personal time off yeah
1: okay
0: yeah it's also canada day over the so the monday was a holiday at least in canada right yeah so i oh. i
3: flew up yeah i flew out friday so i get like got my five days you know and I, like yeah so monday was actually a holiday for us just like like today is for you yeah so. so you just took the whole like four extra vacation days so are you in like newfoundland
1: or nova scotia or something
3: or? i'm in new brunswick New Brunswick yeah I'm actually I'm actually you know, I you know I said we're kind of coast to coast on Twitter but I'm actually closer to Holton than I am to Woodstock right now so Holton Maine.
1: <laughs> that means nothing to me
3: <laughs> well Holton is infam- infamously the place that they think that the uh, 9/11 bombers crossed into the United States oh yeah 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 okay it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty friendly border I mean when we started coming here 20 years ago or so um, you went to the Walmart in Holton like you didn't because there was no Walmart in stop proper, so there is now, of course, but yeah, and you're also
0: far away from the coast, huh? Uh, yeah, relatively, we're not a- far away, but you know, well, you're, uh, N- you're N- not Brun- on the coast. New
3: Brunswick is kind of a square province, right? So we're completely landlocked. There's a lot of, I mean, there's, the St. John River runs down here. We're right, right by the St. John River Valley. But yeah, for all intents and mm, okay. purposes, we are inland quite a bit. Yeah, mm, Okay. Yeah, south of us is St. John, which, you know, has the, the, I think it's the Bay of Fundy that separates uh, Nova Scotia from New Brunswick. That is
0: correct. There's that ferry that runs across Saint John to uh, whatever it is. Yeah, there's there.
3: a there's a bridge there now too, though. But yeah, is
0: there a bridge all the way across? Well, you can. Yeah, you can
3: take the Trans Canada. In fact, there's a bridge now to Prince Edward Island, right? So you can, that one I knew, but I didn't know there
0: was one across the Bay of Fundy. I thought that was. But I
3: don't. Know, it was a part a narrow part, of course, right? So, but it's part of the right. part of the um, Trans Canada Highway, right? So Highway Two. Hmm. Yep. Is Prince Edward Island
1: its own province, or is it just part of something else?
3: It is its own province. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually the birthplace of Canada. It's so where the where our constitution was signed hmm. back in 1867.
1: Well, I'm looking at a map. I had no idea Newfoundland was so far north.
0: Yeah, it's true. Really yeah, especially but the there.
1: the Labrador part. It goes way up there to uh, yeah. not
0: qu- not quite the Arctic Circle, but it's pretty far north pretty if you go to the tip. There, yeah, tip of Labrador is pretty far up so, there. So yeah. yeah,
1: the northern tip is slightly north of the southern tip of Greenland.
0: Yes, it is farther north than yeah. Greenland. That's true. Yeah.
3: Wow, <laughs> we're covering four time zones today in our recording, which is kind of cool. Hmm.
0: That's true. The um Maine is that in the Eastern Time Zone
1: still, or is that uh, in the Maine, yeah Maine's Eastern actually? Yeah,
0: if, if yeah. Maine has, is still Eastern. So, there's no point in the U.S. that's in the Atlantic time. That's time. right. Yeah, that's why. Ah. Yeah.
1: So, when you said four hours, I was like, Tim, what? To talk about.
0: I it <laughs> hey, Newfoundland is actually four and a half. They get an yeah. extra half hour that way. So, well, I guess that's it, the it furthest. Is, it is points. kind of
1: funny, you know. You guys probably don't realize this because you because you're from Canada, but but in the U.S., you know, when when we learn about geography in school, not that most people do anymore, but there's always the map of the U.S. that kind of that ends at Maine. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's nothing else there exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we sort of know Canada's there, you know, but but it's it's weird to think of Maine just being part of a landmass that continues <laughs> yeah, there's more <laughs> east of there right? yeah like it keeps yeah, going it's kind of a weird yeah. thing i mean i mean obviously i know it's there but it's you know it's just when i was a kid it was just not part of the equation hmm. yeah kind of funny yep. hilarious
0: <laughs> and tim i don't know that location you're at it could be fake news right it yeah. could be it could be <laughs> fake news, exactly yeah. it could be ash you could be in holton for all you know right well then you would be like in existence but past that line oh i or, uh, oh, i see what you mean yeah i'm 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 in the,
3: i'm in the other place yes the, the, yeah the, twilight <laughs> the upside, down yeah, the upside down yeah exactly I yeah. yeah. what was i called you guys i called you the below land last week so i'm in the, the upper land way. i'm in the above land yeah you can you can see the edge of the earth from here you know yeah
1: <laughs> yep yeah it is weird because you know so maine we think of maine as being this you know really especially northern maine is like way way north in the you know wilderness somewhere Mm. there's like nothing there but looking at the map i mean there is there is stuff beyond that you know further north (laughs) (laughs) there's a whole lot of stuff yeah 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 I'm, I'm, i'm joking they get they get a lot of snow up
3: here i drove through maine i drove from boston to maine uh, isn't there a song by James Taylor like that um, or yeah anyways I drove from Boston to Maine one time and, and we were driving through like you know 18 inches of snow up here for some reason we decided to come in, in February to visit the farm so.
0: so is it like 30 degrees up there yeah uh, 80, 87 I should say 86 for yeah. the, uh, uh, the Americans is it, is it really hot I think Chris yeah, 32. Chris on the Ray Weather team was saying it was um, it was really hot there yeah it's pretty, pretty steamy but
3: I think it's hotter in, in Toronto right now actually just just a point of graph- uh, geography Toronto is actually further south than Maine in fact we're further south in Seattle, I believe, which I think Jaime can concur on that. Mm.
2: That is correct. We, we always think of you being north of me, but that's only sort of generally true in terms of, you know, your position to the United States. But in terms of Seattle to Toronto, we're actually much further north than you are.
0: Yeah, I think all of yeah. Washington State is further north of Toronto. Really? Yeah. Wow. Where the border is. I believe so. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because, yeah.
2: you know, it, it's easy to think of it as like, oh, okay, that border between us, just this parallel line, just choose, right. just choose a, a latitude. And it's like, well, no, really it kind of slopes at an angle, and it gets worse and worse as you get further east. It's mm. like the fourth 49th parallel, right? They dropped the pen as they were going across
3: Ontario.
0: Uh, <laughs> they really <laughs> dropped the pen, and had to go around the lakes and stuff too. Yeah, they uh, maybe they had a few drinks up there when they were in uh, drawing the border.
2: Yeah, and they decided, hey, somewhere in the middle of these lakes, that's where the border is. That'll never cause problems. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's true. That's
0: true. You guys can have Lake Erie, though. No, I think Lake uh, what is it? Like Michigan, Yeah, Michigan is all in the, US. Yeah, Michigan's
3: the only one that's completely in the U.S. The other yeah. ones
0: we all have to share, yeah. So, Jaime, we were just talking about
3: before, Mark was saying when he studied geography in, in grade school, um, everything outside of Maine didn't exist, right? So, so technically, Toronto doesn't exist, and, and where I am in Woodstock New Brunswick right now doesn't exist. Well, either, it's not either. that it
1: didn't exist. It just... You know, there was always, <laughs> the, there was always the big
0: the map that you had life. on the wall. There's right. no it was just point in point learning about I mean. it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. That's interesting, because Maine isn't, like, huge and enormous. Like, I, I knew that, like, for various reasons, you know, both the geographical size and sort of the... Uh, uh, independent spirit because it was his own country, and uh, a bunch of uh, uh, Texas arrogance and pride. Like, Texas will do that and just be mm-hmm. like, all right, until you're like in middle school, let's just cover geography and history of, of Texas. Really? And then, wow. and then you start covering, you know, more and more of the United States stuff as you get into middle school and high school.
3: Yeah, and there's a lot of difference between East and West Texas, right? Like, in terms of dial and culture, and right? Isn't there?
2: Yeah, but like, I don't know that you need uh, to be um, almost indoctrinated so much into. <laughs> into the history and specifics of your state you know in in elementary school yeah yeah uh, it almost seemed like you could start the opposite direction and, and cover the big picture and then go more local as you uh, as you get older
0: those don't sound like the words of a proud texan to me hi <laughs> man right that's why i need to get uh, <laughs> texas tattooed
2: on my bicep and pull out my big wwf you know championship belt buckle
3: yeah well it's like it's like ontario is the largest pretty much geography geographically. i think it's the largest province or next to the U-Kalana. believe it,
0: it's Quebec. We need a fact check. Here. Okay, well, well Quebec it's, is it's a pretty, pretty big promise,
3: but we really only we only live along the snout of, of Ontario. If, if it's like a, word I out.
0: think that's like all of Canada, right? Like if you yeah. looked at the population, it's like everybody lives around the border, and nobody lives sort of more than whatever what it is, is two hundred kilometers up.
1: That on the map, it just it's labeled N. U. It's the one way up in the north.
0: Ah, it's Nunavut. That's one of the Nunavut, territories. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. we
3: used to have this big large section called Northwest Territories. They just, they split it up to a, into a couple of uh, sort of semi promises. Right? Right.
0: Yeah, that in the Yukon, you can see above the, there's like a horizontal line and above that, there's like three territories up there.
3: But you know you were saying about the, the fact we all live along the, the border is that, because we want to be close to our American cousins, of course, but...
0: Uh, of course, the, we love them so much.
3: The, uh, I was reading an article the other day, and I, of course, I'll i put a link in the show notes about it, that apparently Canada is number two of the um, countries in the world that is most likely to survive a zombie apocalypse.
0: Oh! Tammy
3: ten- on here to weigh in on that. Yeah, Tammy would like that.
0: The American okay. America was way I Who's to, number
3: one? Uh, I can't remember now. I have to go back and go and look it up. But
0: yeah, not America. Was it somebody strange? Like it was like Finland or something like that. Yeah, something
3: like that. And the reason the reason they said one of the reasons for us was, in, in fact, what we just said is the fact that we all live right along the, the coast or the coast of mm. border. How does that mm.
1: help you in a zombie apocalypse?
3: Um, well, I'm reminded of the fact that you told us last week that zombies aren't real. But well, yes, um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically, I'm asking. No, I we have we have a lot of my real my real question is I'm I'm wondering what the metric used to determine the, the top countries in the event of a, of a zombie apocalypse. Well, now I,
3: now I really have to go find it, but yeah, but it was uh, it was, um, it was I think it was because of the fact that we got all this landmass, we can just basically move north and, and you know, because we've got all our, our you know winter survival skills, you know, which come but, in handy in August. But the problem August. is that zombies don't care about cold, so they could just follow you up there, right? That's true, but we've got more places to go and hide,
2: I think. One, one so of the reasons. I think I they, they, they can continue, but then they stop moving because they actually freeze over since they don't have survival gear because i Mm. i recall it might actually be in the walking dead i don't know if it's in the actual tv series or if they just cover this in some of the um animated games from telltale but they'll say hey if we can get to canada and northern areas the zombies start freezing earlier so they can't actually move (laughs) during parts of the year and we can we can skedaddle away from them Hmm. okay but otherwise i think i agree with mark that like having most of your population in this tiny little strip seems like it sets you up like a row of dots in pac-man just
1: gop 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 eating you yeah. all up zombies. All the zombies have to do is go around you and then get you from behind and then you're then you're stuck.
2: Well we weren't saying you guys couldn't come and hide with us Zombies know no borders. So Tim, you're out in the cottage, uh, celebrating Canada Day. Is that what it is?
3: No, I'm actually, I'm on my, on my sister-in-law's place in Woodstock, New Brunswick. It's, uh, basically, it's called Camel Settlement. It's actually a little, it's actually a sort of a hobby farm. You know, they, they have, uh, they grow silage here for the, uh, for cattle. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, they have a, it's a nice little property that they bought with a big giant pond on it. You can go, you know, around in the paddle boat. And, you know, I come here for the mosquitoes pretty, pretty much though. So. Um, but yeah, but it's like, you know, they've, they've been living here for a while and, and and uh, yeah, they kind of, you know, it's it's rural in a sense, you know, like it's uh, um, out here in the country, as it were, right? So, yeah.
0: how far is the closest Walmart, though? Oh, well, there is the
3: a Walmart in, in Holton now. i oh, was sorry, in, in Woodstock now. They used to have to go to Holton, which is just, I'm actually closer to Holton right now than I am to Woodstock in driving time, but um, other than the fact that you have to cross the border now. But they used to only have a Walmart in the U.S. And it's funny, the U.S. Walmarts look completely different than the Canadian ones, just the way they're set up inside. Um, but yeah, they have a Walmart here now. and. The like when we first started coming here, this entire town didn't even have a stoplight, and uh, since they put the Walmart in, they had to have a stoplight. So, and uh, I went and saw Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, um, Fallen World at the at the big Atlantic s- Cinemas here in uh, Woodstock it was very exciting. You know, me and me and about six other people. So
2: yeah. Well, what's the uh, without spoilers? Is it is it worth seeing? It's a six out of ten. Six out of ten. So that sounds like it's better to see it in the theater. Well, here I'll, 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 tell you, I'll tell you why it's a complete Stop.
3: work of fiction because in the beginning of the, the story they're talking talking about saving these dinosaurs on this island, right? And they're going up against the Senate, and they're saying the Senate is will be, as if the Senate would be concerned about um, dinosaurs going extinct. That's why, you know, in today's climate, that would never be an issue that they would discuss in, in the Senate, right?
2: <laughs> Just wait for the global warming yeah. to kill them off.
3: Yeah. Well, that's pretty much what they're doing. Like, the, the yeah, I don't want to say any more, but yeah, that's that's what they're hoping will happen, right? So some there's there's a environmental issue that's involved, right? So, and, and the debate at the very beginning of the movie is what to do. I'm not giving away anything at all. I mean, well, I don't know if you if you if you can sort of figure out the plot, but you know, there's there's a plan to go and deal with the dinosaurs, and then some of them escape, and
2: you know, pretty much it's like right. every it, every Jurassic Park plot since the, the second one. <laughs> yeah, well, the trailer certainly makes it seem like it's a, like a soft reboot of um, the Lost World Jurassic Park. Well, I suppose it is. Jurassic yeah, Park. yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, in, in yeah, the same sense so as it's... the Star Wars and the, and the Star Trek's are, right? Yeah, it seems like this is the the Kelvin timeline edition of. Jurassic Park. Yeah, I would say that's that a good. Jurassic Park good, two and three never happened.
3: That's a good, uh, good thing. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, because exactly the same thing that you know, like the T the Rex runs around, runs havoc through Africa. Where they is it San Francisco that they take the T Rex to in in the second? Uh, was it called Lost World? No.
2: Yeah, the, the Lost World.
3: That was Cohen, that, that was Jurassic Park. That was the second. Um, I mean, the second, the original number two, the OG two, OG Jurassic mm-hmm. Park two, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well,
0: this is turning into spotcast. I know. That's it, a, it
3: happens. It's
2: going a little. Off the rails here, <laughs> and, and because Jonathan Kullain uh, would be doing fact check for that, it is Jurassic World. Oh, I'm gonna have to look this up before I mess it up. Fallen Kingdom. Let me see. This new one, yeah. Or is it the Fallen Kingdom? Yeah, there's an interesting
3: plot vehicle in in this uh, in this uh, Jurassic World that that uh, is going to set it up for future movies. I think definitely for sure.
2: Oh yeah, I mean they've got a soft reboot Jurassic Park three too, right? That's With, true. Uh, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this was as bad as like remember how
3: Jurassic Park was an amazing. movie Movie and Jurassic Part Two was okay as a as a as a second, but you know that had that sort of second movie curse or sequel curse, right? This has a sort of sequel curse to it. You know, it, it's very mm-hmm. nice. I mean, it, like you know, I, I my my, uh, my uh, brother-in-law and my nephew went with me, and, and um, they sort of said, "What do you think about it?" I said, "Well, I, I just imagine uh, Jaime Dev with the hair would be saying, i 'I'm going to get my big bucket of popcorn and my big you know big gulp drink, and I'm going to sit back and watch dinosaurs wreck stuff.' That's what this movie's about."
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was how I. I ended up you know, promoting Pacific Rim Uprising, not yeah. because I knew it was going to be good because it's not Shakespeare. Spoilers, yeah. it wasn't. Um, but it is very good in terms of, you know, it's hot, it's the summertime, you want to go in a nice, cool environment, fill your face with popcorn and Coca-Cola because it's America and uh, just enjoy, just turn your brain off, just let it relax for a little bit. Watch big robots yeah. smash each yeah. other. In this case, watch big dinosaurs eat people and possibly each other um, and enjoy your, uh, your holidays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it starts. The movie starts with this really sort of. They're trying to go and
3: get this piece of DNA, and and it's pouring rain, and there's a huge like tornado tornado coming in, and you're thinking to yourself, why would they? Why would they try and fly a helicopter in this kind of weather? And then they go, oh yeah, right. It's a movie. Never mind. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have some more popcorn. So what are you guys doing for uh, July Fourth? Come on. What's 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 the big day? Is Barbecuing. Get some barbecue going
2: and hot dogs and hamburgers and beers and stuff. I'll if the Americans answer, answer the question. <laughs> Nothing exciting for me uh, maybe we'll have some hot dogs and hamburgers later it's largely still trying to Get myself moved in, moving things to the storage unit that we've rented, and
3: uh, oh, so you're, you're in the new place now?
2: Yes. The so no yes. more ice cream truck? No, oh. no. But uh, it, we'll find out more as you start going through the audio track. We we'll start trying to understand what uh, what the difference is. I I assume since they seem to hear the the uh, groundskeepers seem to do their lawn mowing early in the morning in the weekdays. I assume you won't hear lawn mowers from my neighbors anymore. Right. But right. I'm sure there will be altogether different sounds, like probably vehicles moving in. and out of the parking lot or something right right no more revving engines that's too bad i wonder if you'll still hear airplanes though because we're pretty close to Payne field where boeing has its uh, big delivery center you might hear you know i assume boeing aircraft coming in and
0: out how about you mark what are you doing today
1: I got nothing really planned. It's a, it's a weird one this year because it's on a Wednesday. Usually, yeah. you know, usually, mm. you know
0: were you at work yesterday and you're at work tomorrow,
1: Mark? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> same here. So yeah. So you know, can't really can't really go out and you know drink a bunch of beers because then tomorrow will be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so so I don't know. I'll probably just get some barbecue. Yeah. That's what outside.
3: we we kind of in Canada we we I think we take the closest Monday or Friday to the usually the Monday to the holiday and we celebrate the day then. That's when people get the day off, sort of thing, right? So yeah.
1: A lot of people in my company are actually working today and taking Friday off or took Monday off. Right,
0: right. Mm. right. I think a yeah. lot of people are taking Thursday, Friday off this yep. week. a lot of people do that too. Yep. But um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm like, nah, I can't waste any more vacation days. So <laughs> I'm just taking today off. I saw a bunch of tweets today of people saying like they they keep thinking it's Saturday when they right, wake up this
3: right. morning.
1: It does have a weekend feel to it for sure.
3: Mm. Two little short weeks. But I asked Tammy this morning, is, I asked yeah. Tammy just before the show like if she's going to be blowing stuff up today and she says, yep, it's nice living in the country, less worrying about freaking out living things Nearby, just most. Of, know, she's on the farm, yeah, though, isn't she? With yeah, all all these animals. Yeah, she says her living her, her living things are used to her blowing stuff up. So that's so what she'll be. Like, uh, okay. Yeah, lots of fireworks at ten. So just she, another she day.
1: Don't worry about about freaking out the zombies nearby, the non living things. Yeah. No.
3: <laughs> Well, maybe yeah. that's the thing. Like in the, in the future, she won't be able to use fireworks because it will attract them, right? It's
2: true. And yeah. here, because it's been a relatively dry June leading up into Independence Day, there's been a lot of fireworks bans. And I don't know. I just caught the tail end of the news. So I didn't see what city in, in Washington State was going to use drones instead of fireworks this year because they were concerned about um, really? how dry it was. Yeah, yeah. They were talking about this company they were partnering with that um, has these tiny little oh, drones. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen those. They, they do, synchronize they do each other. They're patterns on, in the sky yeah 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 so you get i guess you don't get the boom aspect but you still get the, the special effect of having various patterns and designs that they can make
3: yeah they did that at the chinese olympics was it where is it beijing we just had the winter olympics you know, the olympics I think it was korea, korea. Yeah. yeah it was a winter yeah,
2: yeah. and they had like mm-hmm. you
3: know they had the drones making big giant turtles in the sky and was all kinds of stuff on twitter Do you guys, did, like, guys didn't see that stuff or
2: yeah i saw it with like a like an yeah. eagle or some sort of bird of yeah some sort
3: yeah it's pretty cool and they made it into, like, a snowboarder and other things. Yeah, I forgot about drones. Yeah, drones is an interesting technology.
2: Yep, cool. Indeed they are. I'm not really sure if that's, like, a pun or... What? That they're interesting technology? <laughs> One of our very hosts Oh, yes, yes. Works on drones. Not not these kinds of drones. It's a very different kind. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Falling asleep. No, I just... <laughs> Nothing to say?
3: Yes.
1: <laughs> drones are interesting technology.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I built a drone once with my grandson. We had, went to a maker fair. Actually, when I go back in Toronto, there's a maker fair coming up, so... So, as, you, as the people are driving at home will be listening to this, they'll be at the Maker Faire, Ronald. Cool. For those
1: driving in their cars at Maker Fairs? I
3: guess so, yeah. Or making their cars that they'll be driving at home later mm. or something like that. Be at the Maker Faire, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: righty. Guess we'll call it, shall we? Sounds good.